The reading of the word comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ the King Church again. For how I don't even know how many times we've said that at this point. Maybe it's the first time. Welcome to Christ the King Church. Uh, I uh, my name is Tyler, and I am not the pastor of this congregation. Uh, but Kevin has asked me to stand in his stead uh, as we walk through this passage of uh, Peter's second letter. As I get here situated on this rinky-dinky little. Music stand. Uh, if you haven't already, please go ahead and turn your Bibles to Second uh, Peter chapter three. We'll be starting in verse one, as we've seen. And bow your heads with me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have brought us together, uh, that we may be uh, sitting under the teaching of the Word, uh, in the worship of you in song, and soon to be Lord in, in communion. Uh, We ask that your spirit uh, would unite us to Christ, Lord, that you would teach us, you would encourage us and exhort us and and possibly convict us if necessary uh, today. Uh, We ask that you open this letter to us, uh, that you guide my own words, and that they would be the very words um, of of yourself. As you may pray, amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last few months, uh, you would know that we have been walking through uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter's letters, First and Second Peter. Uh, last week, we saw the climax of a, pas- a passionate denunciation of the false teachers uh, plaguing the early church uh, by Peter. Fiery words coming from a man whose end was drawing uh, so very near. Uh, yet, in his impending death at the hands of the Romans... Uh, Peter has again and again pleaded with his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to remain steadfast in the face of adversity, Uh, whether that adversity come uh, from the Romans, from the nations, from kings, 
uh, or possibly even from amongst the body um, themselves. So we were reminded last week that there are are people, uh, possibly even among us today, who claim to be the bride of Christ, claim to be Christian, but who are inwardly, are are irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. These men are no shepherds at all, uh, but actually enemies of Christ who prey upon the sheep uh, for profit and for pleasure. It was a sobering message, and I pray we, we, we did heed and we will continue to heed Peter's words uh, to us uh, and to also his, his, his readers uh, with care. And so in today's passage, Peter is going to be shifting uh, this enunciation, this, this throwing the gauntlet down slightly, uh, with a discussion about a very specific uh, and a seemingly more dangerous threat that the false teachers were peddling uh, to the church of his day and still to the, we still see it today. Uh, that would be those who deny the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will consider this issue, this false teaching that they're attempting to peddle, uh, by breaking this passage down in four ways, uh, not three as Kevin likes to normally do. Uh, I'm an overachiever. Uh, the first one is going to be the authority of the author. The authority of the author. The second one is the fallacious rhetoric of the false teachers. The fallacious rhetoric of the false teachers. Third, the scriptural rhetoric of Peter. And lastly, number four, uh, the last things. And so let's start by looking at the first two verses, the authority of the author. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. So chapter 3 uh, here in the beginning is serving as a transition. Peter is again, as he's done multiple times in his letters, establishing himself as an authority uh, on these heavy matters, uh, being that he's an apostle. Right? He, he, wants to, he wishes to uh, come to them not as a, um, just some Joe Schmo on the street, uh, but simply as, as someone who sat under Jesus Christ himself who was taught and and learned from our Lord. Not only that, but he also is coming to them uh, not as authoritarian, not as as a browbeater, but as as a shepherd, as a teacher. He calls them beloved. I preached, I don't know, probably a few months ago back in 1 Peter, and he had the same words of encouragement when it came to to the church. He called them always beloved. Right? They're friends of him. They're they're his brothers and sisters, his brethren. He does the same here. He's he's trying to encourage them in a small gesture uh, that they are indeed the beloved of God, that that they are known and cared for. And again, Peter has a very specific motive in mind with both of his letters. Uh, These these letters are meant as encouragements, right? They're exhortations, right? They're not necessarily theological um, textbooks where we can just kind of study and and walk away uh, not really uh, doing anything with it, but rather these are very practical 
and meant to be very, um, just very exhortive, right? Uh, they are meant to, most importantly, in this case, as, as he's mentioned, right, to remind us, to remember. And I had a question when I first came to this thought. I, I, it seems like a broken record. Why is he always uh, constantly returning to this, this sort of, oh, let me remind you. Oh, don't forget. Oh, why? Don't, don't, don't move past this. He keeps coming back to this, these, these sort of um, circular um, situations. And so I, I don't know if you guys have thought this, but I certainly did, is, is why? Why is he having to do that in the middle of his teardown of the false teachers, right? Throwing the gauntlet down, socking punches, all those things, right? Why is he all of a sudden slightly um, messing with his flow a little bit? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, Peter is a good shepherd. He's a good teacher. Um, he has been taught by a good teacher, probably uh, the good shepherd, um, how to tend to the Lord's sheep. He knows better than anyone that we sheep are very quick uh, to forget. Right? To, to, as soon as we walk away, uh, to, to essentially just right goes way over our heads and, and we no longer remember what even our face looked like. And again, this is not only true uh, for uh, Peter's audience, but also is true for us today, right? Consider our modern uh, daily life as the body of the church, right? We come every Sunday, we gather and worship, right? We sit under the teaching of the Word, we partake of communion of, of the, the body and blood of Christ, we sing songs, we shake people's hands, we have some coffee, uh, we then, after everything is said and done, pack up these metal chairs and walk out those double doors, get into our cars, and consider uh, where we're going to get our hearty, uh, jolly little uh, Sunday lunch in. And I guarantee you, as soon as we begin packing up these chairs and making our way out back into the world, uh, we begin to forget. We begin to forget what even we talked about this morning, right? We forget some of the songs, possibly, that we've sung. We, think, we forget just... Seemingly almost everything, if someone asks you, uh, you know, in the middle of the week, hey, what was the sermon about? You may have to think for a pretty hard moment, what was the sermon about? Right? What was the passage we read in? And it's not necessarily a fault of our own, that's just these things in between uh, these two uh, ears, right? Our, our minds are just not capable of, of retaining every scene, every word, uh, every image, everything, everything we do in this life, Right? But because they, they cannot do that, because they uh, cannot retain everything, we are constantly being needed to be reminded of uh, the gospel, of, of the truth of God. And so Peter is beginning this uh, portion of chapter 3 by again reminding them of what he is saying is, is, is of utmost importance to them. So it's not difficult to understand why Peter is... Losing his mojo a little bit here, um, to some extent. I do find it interesting, however, that the focus of his reminder is found here. The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. That is the focus of his reminder. Right? I keep asking questions to myself. Why is this what he's focusing in on? Right? Predictions, prophecies of the holy prophets and the commandments of, of, of Christ. Well, he's, he's speaking of these things because, um, as I mentioned a little earlier, this is sort of him, again, establishing his authority on these matters. Again, he's not Joe Schmo. He's Peter. 
right? The rock. If chapter 1 was correct, right, that, that we, um, meaning the apostles, Peter included, uh, this is verse 16 of chapter 1, did not follow cleverly devised myths, right? These are not legends, these are not fables, these are not things he's just making up. And also in verse 21, that no prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by this Holy Spirit. Then Peter is essentially establishing himself firmly in that, again, saying, I am an authority on this matter, right? Not the scoffers that he's turning his attention to and, and setting his sights upon. And so this is important, right? The holy prophets of the Old Testament, the, uh, and, and our Lord Jesus Christ uh, through his apostles in the New Testament, right? Those are, they, they hold greater authority than, than any man, any woman, uh, any blog post, uh, anything in this world because they're speaking not through the will of men or women, but because they're speaking from the will of God. And of course, we know these things because they are in the Word of God. And so, this moves directly into the next uh, section, number two, the fallacious rhetoric of the false teachers. Right? What is this um, arguments that he's, he's, he's sort of dealing with today? Verse three, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So I use, uh, I use the term rhetoric uh, very, um, very intentionally, right? And so if I had to ask you what a definition of rhetoric was, um, if I had any of my rhetoric students in here, they would hopefully gleefully say and shout out with joy uh, that rhetoric is the art of persuasion. Okay? Sometimes it's used for good, sometimes it's used for, well, most of the time it's used for bad. Um, you know, when we think of rhetoric, we think of lawyers and, and uh, politicians and, and sort of fast talkers. Uh, but the goal of rhetoric is simply to shift someone's attitudes, someone's beliefs, to something else than what they are currently, right? It's persuasion. And so to have good rhetoric, right, to have a strong argument, you're going to need some strong support for this case, right? If you don't have those things, then obviously you don't have a strong argument. You have a weak argument. And so in our passage today, uh, the false teachers here are kind of engaging uh, in, in a very short, uh, obviously Peter is the one um, giving this to us, uh, but essentially he's giving us a question the false teachers are giving us a question, and they're establishing that question with a foundation, a, a supportive foundation, um, as we'll see. And so verse 3 again, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days of scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Right? They will say, this is the question, where is the promise of his coming? And their support is, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, as I've mentioned previously, and I will continue to, re to repeat and remind, uh, that the false teaching that, that Peter is interestingly um, focusing in on is the denial of the second coming of Christ. Okay, that's what this, that's what this question and the support is, is targeting, is that Christ is not coming back, essentially. Where is he at? Right? But in verse 3, Peter establishes that the word of God has spoken already about these scoffers. 
Right? Again, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. This is not uh, catching Peter or the Lord uh, off guard here. Right? It's expected. And so they will come in the last days. Um, now, I'm not going to um, heavily dive into that phrase, the last days. Uh, just know that this is sort of a shorthand um, for uh, the, the day of judgment, right? When Christ returns. Um, well, the last day is. The last days are, are sort of that period of time after uh, Christ uh, has resurrected and, and, and will come again, right? That any day it can come. Again, I'm, I'm not going to dive into that today. Um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but these false teachers attempt to persuade their listeners, right? Persuade their, the, the, the church themselves, right? Asking the question, where is the promise of his coming? And all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, okay? So it's a seemingly innocent question, right? Where is Jesus at? Right? And it's supported by, by a twisting, right? It sounds good somewhat, but, but, but when Peter um, rebukes them, essentially, and says that's, that's simply not true, we realize that, his, that this support of this question is actually faulty. It's not good. It's not good rhetoric. It seems like good rhetoric, but it's not good rhetoric. If you were to rephrase this, this, this question uh, and support, it would be, uh, I would probably put it something along the lines of, uh, because all things are continuing as they were, from the beginning of creation, can we trust that Jesus is coming, right? Where is the promise of his coming? Right? Things don't seem to be getting much different, right? Sunday goes into Monday and Monday goes into Tuesday and, and, and weeks become months and months become years and years become millennia. And other, it doesn't seem a whole lot of things are changing. Right, these arguments are pretty familiar, um, at least in my case. Right? Uh, it's been 2,000 years since Christ's uh, incarnation and, and resurrection and ascension to heaven. It's been 2,000 years. That's a long time to us. Right? History has pushed on. We've seen the rise and fall of empires like Rome. We've seen the church expand and grow large, become a monolith. People are partying, right? They're getting married, having kids. Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, so things are kind of just repeating and, and kind of just, it seems like this cycle, right? So we can probably understand why uh, th this, this, what the false teachers are saying here might seem like it has some uh, support, right? That... Um, Ever since the fathers, meaning the, 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 the prophets of the, the Old Testament, right, the, the patriarchs and the prophets, the fathers of, in, this is the New Testament, since they fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Right, it just keeps falling one after another. Nothing's changing. Right, people are still suffering. People are still dying. There are still injustices in this world. And so the question may break into our mind, Maybe Jesus doesn't particularly care. Maybe Jesus um, was not really serious about him judging this world. Maybe he's not actually coming back. Now, that is the train of thought that can come from asking this seemingly innocent question.
And so Peter is going to tackle these things, uh, as, as we should, by considering what the Scripture has told us, right? what the Word of God has, has been given, that has been given to us, says concerning these things. So it brings us to our third point, right? the scriptural rhetoric of Peter. Right? How is he going to attempt to persuade his readers? So Peter begins in verse 5, going to, into verse 7. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So that first uh, phrase there, right, that um, verse 5, they deliberately, meaning the false teachers deliberately are overlooking this fact. Right? Not this theory, not this opinion. They're deliberately, consciously overlooking. They are lying. Saying that, oh, things are just kind of going on as always had, right? Someone today would say, well, you know, the world began, the entire universe began with the, the Big Bang, and then, you know, things, millennia, and thousands and millions of years passed, right? Things are evolving, and things are kind of just always going to be going that way, and until we probably, um, until the heat death of the universe, or whatever, you know, theory we have out there, um, popular right now today. Um, but these false teachers know that what they're saying is false. It's deliberate. And so they're twisting the truth because they want to deceive the flock of God. Right? Uh, God has existed before um, the mountains are formed or ever he had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That's what Moses has said of, 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 of our Lord, right, in Psalm 90. And so the thing that is pushing everything onward is not um, chance, not algorithms, right, not math necessarily in and of itself. It's, it's, it's every molecule, every dust particle, and every atom and subatom and any other word you want to come up with is being held together and being um, pushed forward and onwards by the will of God. Right, before Adam even took his first breath, creation had been made. When Adam and Eve consciously sinned against the Lord, God did not sit up in the clouds with the chubby little um, winged babies playing their harps. Right? No, he, he, he deliberately he, he intervened. Right? He promised them that he would destroy the evil that had been uh, brought in by their action. Not only that, but he gives them their first clothing. Killing an animal and, and providing garments because theirs were not adequate enough. And when mankind became so depraved that God even sta stated to even regret even creating us, he was not idle in his justice. To the people of Noah's day, he was. They didn't see it coming. But he certainly did intervene. And this is what Peter here is, is um, reminding us of, right? When, when it says in verse, 
finding my place. Uh, verses 5, going back into 7, right? They deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, that's Genesis, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished, right? That, that is the flood that, that Peter is referring to. P- Peter has mentioned it for the second time, it seems like, the flood. He's mentioned it before in his letters, And so again, he's essentially establishing that this is the truth of God, right? That things have not always been just going on in in, in a cycle, right? That the world looked very different than what it does today before the flood, right? We're not in the garden anymore. That changed, right? There's there's not a firmament anymore, and that's changed somewhat, right? And and Peter is saying in in verse 7 that it will change again. Not that it may change again, not that we can possibly stop it by, by um, coming up with some ideas or, or some um, possible uh, way to stop the, the, the coming Christ, right? No, he, he is coming back, right? And this is the fact, um, that the, again, that the very same word that created the world, the very same word that brought the waters rushing upon this world is the very same word that is going to bring about the fire and destruction uh, and, and, and renewing of this world, right, when Christ returns. And so the fact that the teachers are trying to, these false teachers are trying to scoff at is this fact that the history will end. They don't want that to happen. Right, because... If they can convince, if they can persuade um, believers that history will never end, if they overlooked that, then maybe they can, then maybe the, the people they're talking to can overlook it as well, right? If history never ends, if there's always a tomorrow, and God is up in the clouds, not really caring what we're doing here on this earth, then they can, t- con- they can continue living their life selfishly and in pursuit of pleasure, in pursuit of self-centered, um, well, you can fill in the blank, <laughs> whatever they want to do. And so they want history to never end. They want uh, the party to never end, right? They, that, that's why the thought of death is terrifying to our modern world. Because it reminds us when we're in funerals or when we're doing anything that we will die. I hope you're enjoying this joyful sermon this Sunday morning. And so although uh, history is seeming to be constantly pushing forward, right? Peter reminds us in verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You can see the, the echoes of Psalm 90, right, that, we've, that we just read earlier this morning. Even though the uh, false teachers are overlooking this truth, Peter is saying, do not overlook this truth, beloved. Right? This psalm is important to us because it's telling us the nature, the, the beauty, and the power of God. It's, 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 he's meaning to, again, stir us up, to exhort us, to encourage us by turning our eyes back to the Word and to the truth. Right, so the false teachers are, are attempting to uh, cash in 
uh, on what Paul David Tripp calls our eternity amnesia, um, that we, we um, forget that we're not here for a long time. That truthfully, we are here for a very short time, right? Moses says that, you know, our, our years of life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. That's a dreadfully short time. And you may not even make it there. Some may. But our life is a vapor, right? Calvin said well regarding this this. First Peter's passage or Second Peter's passage here, uh, for waiting seems very long on this account, because we have our eyes fixed on the shortness of the present life, and we also increase weariness by computing days, hours, and minutes. But when the eternity of God's kingdom comes to our minds, many ages vanish away like so many moments. Right, we're impatient. We don't like things taking any time to stew. Right, I had a cup of tea this morning, and I didn't like the fact that I had to wait approximately four minutes before I could enjoy it. I wanted it then, and I wanted it now. Right? Isn't it not funny that when we're uh, very young, um, that every year seems like this, this huge landmark, right? Oh, I'm six months, my child's six months old. Now he's one years old. Now he's two. And you continue on until you probably get to about 10. And then maybe 18, because that's important because they can pay taxes now. And then maybe 21, because then they can go and make terrible choices. And then after that, maybe the decades? 30? 40? It doesn't become so monumental when a year passes. Right, I am young, relatively speaking. And I don't live every day thinking that this may be my last. I, I often think sort of subconsciously that I have a long life ahead of me. Right, those of you who are my elders could attest to that, that, that life is flying by. Right, those who are younger than me may kind of scoff at that and say, eh, okay, curmudgeon over here wearing a sport coat. Um, but it's true. And this is, this is what Moses is trying to tell us, this is what Peter is trying to teach us, right? That this earth has existed long before we were here. Before you were born or I was born. Before the false teachers were born or even Peter was born. And so Peter is, is kind of sprinkling us with the word, right? Trying to get our crusty eyelids to open up a little bit and, and see the horizon, if only but for a moment, when he has to remind us again to do the same thing. He then zeroes in on the question of, of where is the promise of his coming. Right? Back from verse 4. Right? He's, he's dealt somewhat with the, the support of this, this question. Right? The this, this, this subtle twisting. He's saying, no, okay, the earth has not been just kind of mushing onward always. And so now he turns his attention to the question that seems so innocent. In verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach 
repentance. So again, his, 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 Peter's attempt of, um, of rhetoric, of, of persuading um, not, not just these false teachers of, of the fact that they're telling lies, but also of his readers, right, to encourage them, he reminds them again that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Right? He's simply, uh, the, the, the problem that he's sort of um, correcting is, is the cert, the cert, this idea of slowness, right? That God is, is being slow. He's, he's lingering. He's idle. He's not, really, he's not coming, right? What's going on? It's been a few decades since Jesus, you know, went back up to the Father. Um, Peter, what's, you know, don't, what's going on here, right? And so Peter corrects this, right? God is not slow. He is patient, Right? God is not idle, he is long-suffering. Right? God is not taking his time, he's giving us, you, time. Time to repent, beloved. To accept his terms of peace, right? to, to receive him. Right? It's a two-edged sword that he wishes none to perish, but he's also going to enact his justice. This is not universalism. Not everyone's getting into heaven. Right? He will enact justice upon those uh, on that day. Right? And, and Peter is essentially establishing that by him saying that, he, that the Lord is not so slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all, that all should reach repentance. That is essentially saying, he's coming. He's not not coming. He's a double, double negative. And though he seemingly is lingering now, Peter's encouraging us that this is for our benefit, right? This is encouraging to us, not our detriment, not, not to kind of lament and say, oh, Jesus, is, when's he coming, right? Which brings us to our fourth and final point, the last things. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Right, the day of the Lord. Right, the day of judgment. Right, those, are, those are very electrifying, um, very, um, you know, those are fighting words to, to basically put it in, in a very simple phrase, right? This is a, um, it's not a very happy-go-lucky you know, day, necessarily. Uh, but again, I'm not going to really dive deeply into the, uh, you know, eschatological analyses for you. I'll let Kevin do that because that's his job, not mine. Um, and I also don't want you, to, Peter's not attempting to produce fear-mongering um, or, or trying to just scare his audience. Right? Again, this is, this is in, in his way, he's encouraging us. Right? That the Lord is patient with us, and he will come. And when he comes on that day, a terrible day, a day where time itself will end, that history will conclude, the book is closed. Right? On that day when the world is renewed and redeemed, 
that we are reunited with our Lord, that day is coming. And so don't be deceived. And so when the question comes, where is his coming? Right? Be very careful with how you handle that question. Because when the world asks us that question, or when our friends, or even our own doubting thoughts tackle us and and, and try to bring us down into despair, into doubt, and possibly disbelief and unbelief, Peter is here trying to remind us by the word that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Right? That's why it's so important that he's singling this specific teaching out is because he's saying, listen, God is faithful to his promises. Right? Peter's going to be dying not very long after this letter. Right? This is probably his last correspondence with these people and this is one of the last things he tells them. And so will the Lord return? Yeah, he will. He will be faithful. He will not partake of this drink until we join him. He will defeat death in totality. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And on that terrible day, We will see him face to face. We will see our Lord, our Savior, our friend, our King, Jesus. Maranatha. That means uh, come soon, Lord Jesus.